This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, August 25th, 2015. I'm Caleb Brown. If welfare benefits are too generous, it may encourage people to stay on the dole rather than seek work. In their new paper, The Work Versus Welfare Trade-Off Europe, Michael Tanner and Charles Hughes examine how the countries of Europe are encouraging or discouraging people from seeking employment. Get your copy of the paper at cato.org. Well, this is a continuation, really, of the study we did of U.S. welfare benefits back in 2013. This time, we looked at Europe, and we compared the level of welfare benefits across countries and the possible impact that would have on work incentives. And what we found was that welfare benefits were indeed extremely high in many countries, a lot of variation. But uh, in countries like Denmark and Finland, Benefits were quite high and could quite possibly serve as a disincentive for work. And the way that kind of manifests itself in some of these countries is it creates a high marginal effective tax rate, which is basically a situation where a person getting a job or increasing their hours loses most of their additional earnings to reduced benefits or higher taxes. So at some point, somebody uh, who is receiving a certain amount of benefits yet I suppose, is working or decides to up a working by earning that extra dollar, they actually lose a great deal of benefit. So what does that effect do? Well, look, people who are on welfare aren't lazy, but they're also not stupid. If you're going to pay someone more not to work than they can earn from working, they're going to give serious thought to whether or not they want to work. And there were countries that we found where you were could come close to gaining almost nothing, even if you got a job that paid half the median wage, uh, let alone simply a minimum wage job. How does the United States compare to these European countries in terms of that trade-off? One of the surprising things was that the U.S. uh, fits pretty much right in the middle of the pack. Uh, We're somewhere between Sweden and France when it comes to welfare benefits. Uh, And some states had extremely high welfare benefits, places like Massachusetts or Washington, D.C. or New York State uh, were higher than pretty much any country except Denmark. And if you look at a a related measure, kind of putting it in relation to the net income at kind of the the median wage, again, you see that we're sort of in the middle of the pack. We're more generous uh, by that measure than than France and Sweden. Now, uh, some of these European countries, they do have huge welfare states, but in many cases, unlike the United States, they've decided to pay for them. Well, they do have much higher tax rates and they consume a much larger performance uh, share of GDP. But what was interesting was that a lot of their welfare states are targeted to the middle class or the elderly, not necessarily to the poor. It was not a case we found where these countries were providing significantly higher benefits to low-income people, at least not with the benefits we looked at. All right. <clears throat> One of the criticisms that your previous report uh, had thrown at it was essentially the idea that it's hard to identify an individual who is actually collecting this level of uh, benefits. So how do you deal with that? Well, one thing we did in sort of response to that is look at multiple household compositions. So in addition to looking at a single parent with two children, we looked at the case of a childless adult. And those are two of the more common kind of household formations we see. The single parent with two children is particularly relevant in in a sense because, at least in the U.S., they're much more likely to be at risk of poverty than, than other households. And it's in that situation where sometimes they are... Uh, 
eligible for more programs, and that's where the marginal effective tax rates and some of these poverty trap inadvertent effects can, can be most harmful. So describe that, the poverty trap. Sure. Well, that's a case uh, essentially where we know that if in the long run a person takes a job that they will be able to get out of poverty over a period of time. But in the short term, taking that job might actually cost them income. By the time you consider that they have to pay taxes on the new money they're making, they're their benefits are going to be phased out and they are going to have to endure the costs associated with work, uh, whether transportation or child care, clothing, uh, and the loss of leisure time as well. Uh, all of those things add up to where it makes it very difficult for the person to get over that hump and get out of poverty. And of course, skills degrade over time. And some people uh, who were qualified to do a certain job may not be qualified in a couple of years. Right. We see that's one of the, the concerns with people who are on these programs for a long time. It might be even harder for them to kind of reintegrate themselves into the workforce. We see that with unemployment benefits, that one of the problems is that when you extend unemployment benefits, it tends to lead people to stay unemployed longer, and they find it more difficult than to get back into the workforce when their benefits run out. And I think that ties into one thing we touch on in the paper but isn't directly in the scope is the some of these countries have much more liberal labor markets that makes it easier for the people in these programs or low-skilled people to, to find work in the first place. Uh, a requirement to look for work or things like that aren't as meaningful if there are no jobs to be had. And some of them, there's a wide degree of variation within the European countries. Interestingly, many of the countries that had the highest welfare benefits had the most liberal labor market, so it was easier to move around, whereas the, some countries went the other way and basically pushed the cost away from government and onto business by making it very hard to fire people or to uh, lay people off and therefore very unlikely to hire people. So just to be clear, liberal labor markets, that's a good thing. Liberal <laughs> labor markets is a good thing. It means it's easier to hire and fire. What are European countries doing to uh, reform their these programs in order to make work relatively more attractive than uh, welfare benefits? One of the things that was kind of a common theme uh, among a, a number of countries is creating some kind of a transition period where, especially for people that had been on the programs long term, when they moved into work, they would either continue to receive benefits for a short period of time or there would be a disregard of their earnings uh, of some, some portion to make moving into work a more attractive option to try to nudge them and make it easier uh, for them to transition that way. We also saw uh, stronger work requirements, uh, countries that were requiring people to be more willing to take jobs even if they had to travel to them. For example, in the Netherlands, uh, we're finding a, a, an effort to uh, limit the amount of time people can receive various benefits. So there's many different aspects of welfare reform. In some ways, Europe seems to be more willing to recognize the need to reform their welfare programs than the United States. Is part of the reason that they are recognizing the costs is that they are also recognizing the costs up front? Well, some of it's the financial cost and also it's the human cost. Uh, there, there were stories, uh, New York Times did a story a couple of years ago on Denmark with a famous uh, college student named Corinne who had been in college for about six years without any attempt to graduate and was just collecting as many benefits as possible. Uh, and this, uh, this was kind of common in the Denmark uh, scheme of things. So what is the fix for a lot of these countries? In the United States, we hear things about earned income tax credits or a negative income tax, something that would uh, allow somebody to earn more uh, and yet not cost them benefits in the process of earning more. 
That's right. I think this shows the, uh, the, the problem that exists with the current type of welfare state in which we sort of parcel out benefits based on a variety of criteria and a variety of different programs. And we are seeing some countries like Britain begin to consolidate and move to a more cash-based program. We know there's now some uh, a referendum in Switzerland coming up on uh, basic guaranteed income as a replacement for the welfare system. Finland is looking at that. Uh, the Netherlands, I believe. Uh, yeah, a couple of cities in the Netherlands as well. Um, yes, just kind of one of the, the, the common themes, again, is these ad hoc programs that have been added over time interact in ways that weren't really anticipated and can create these, these complicated tangles for the people in the programs and the people trying to evaluate the programs. So streamlining them, consolidating them, making sure you can kind of mitigate the harmful effects of these poverty traps and kind of complication of navigating them is, is one of the things that I think countries abroad and here in the U.S. will, will look towards. Michael Tanner and Charles Hughes are authors of the new Cato paper, The Work vs. Welfare Trade-Off, Europe. You can get your copy at Cato.org.